I love these guys. You know, I, I learned um, it's real easy to discard people or, or, or to not think about them when you can put them in a bucket and just call them homeless or addicts or whatever. But when they become Jack and Wayne and Kevin and Solomon, when they become real human beings, it's really hard to turn your back on them. And I think that's what I've learned from this place is, is everybody in here is no different than I am. It's, it's people that got damaged early in life and, and because of that, they had struggles, but they're loved no less by God than I am. And, and so it's kind of a cool thing to sit around in a, in a room full of men and actually talk about these things. And I, I was telling somebody the other day, if you offered me a, a million bucks, but I had to give away my 10 years at the mission, I wouldn't take the money because it's changed my life. It's made my life better. And how do you put a price tag on that? So would you please welcome to the stage, my friend and yours, one of the funniest men in America, Jeff Foxworthy. That's a lot of pressure. Yeah, that's yeah. a lot of pressure. Wow. So thanks so much for doing this. My pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. And um, Jeff and I have known each other a long time. I'm not sure how we met or who, who introduced us, but about, I think it was 2008. Um, Jeff and I actually went to Africa on a, a Compassion International trip to meet the kids we sponsored. And so I, I'm not going to show any pictures of me, but here Jeff is doing, he didn't know, uh, yet another talent that people didn't know. The only know. job I'm really qualified yeah. for, <laughs> yeah. blowing bubbles. So we had a fa fantastic time on, in that environment and spending that much time together with Jeff realized this is a guy that's way more than what people see on television. We became friends. Um, people know you as famous comedian, uh, blue collar comedy. That, you know, that's for some people that was their introduction to you. Then fifth grader, an incredible um, run. That was so much fun. As long as they give me the card with the answers on it. As long as they it. give yeah. me the <laughs> card with the answer. Um, 20-something books? How many books? I don't know, 26, 7, something Yeah, like that. people don't yeah. even know that you're, a lot of people don't know that you're an author. Yeah, 26, 27 um, books. And the, the most amazing thing, I want to get this right, you've done six comedy albums. Um, three of them went triple platinum, which means each one sold about three million. So Jeff is the largest selling comedy recording artist in the history of the world. So that, that's, like, that's like amazing, yeah. It just seems like it should be somebody else. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, maybe something folks don't know about you is you actually grew up in Atlanta. So tell us a little bit about that. You actually grew up in grew up in, ha Church. in Hapeville, uh, it, it, literally at the end of the runway. When, it, yeah, that that's maybe the way I am because I've inhaled so many jet fumes in my life. Uh, but it was, yeah, the home of Chick-fil-A. So I've known the Kathy family since when that was the only Chick-fil-A in the world. So wow. it was a cool place Dwarf House. Dwarf yeah, House, the Dwarf yeah. House, the original. And uh, grew up in Southern Baptist, going to church. Southern Baptist Church, yeah. Got uh, saved early in life, seven years old. I remember that Sunday, I was like, I wanted to go down, and down. my mother was holding my shirt. Like during the, during the invitation? Yeah, during the invitation. You know, the old, just as I am, you know, the choir's going to sing. <laughs> five stanzas and I'm like I want to go down and my mom was like you're too little you don't know what you're doing so and I don't know how this worked out the preacher came to our house they had the preacher do a house call and it sat down and talked to me and he told my mom yeah he knows what he's doing and so I'm like we're going to the Sunday night service uh -huh. you know yep. I said we're going Sunday night because 
I'm not going to hell because y'all were too lazy, you know, to <laughs> let me let me get in, you know. So but you well, want to get in for something. Want to be in the club, yeah, in case the world ends tomorrow. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> So it was one of those Southern Baptist churches. Yes. Yeah. It, well, I mean, it was, and w- which was a little bit of a problem for me because anybody that kind of grew up in that strict church environment, it was kind of one of those places where, you know, don't drink, don't smoke, don't cuss, walk, you know, like do this. And I knew at a very early age I was wired like this. <laughs> so it was a little bit of a dichotomy for me yep. because I'm like, I know I love God, but I can't do that. You know, th- th- that will drive me crazy. And it, and it probably wasn't until adulthood that I, that I reached the fact that it's like God went, wait a minute, I formed you in your mother's womb. I made you like this because you can have influence on people that can't do this. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I'm like, that was just free. Well, you just freed up a whole bunch of people. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love people like this, yeah, you yeah. know. Like. So, um, so your, your faith started at a young age, and as, like everybody else, there were twists and turns along the way, but you've just, you, that's just been a big part of your life and a central part of your life the whole time for the most part. Yeah, it, it always was. You know, it's like weird with comedy because I will have people say, well, why don't you just do Christian comedy? And I'm like, well, then the only people that listen to me are Christians. Uh, I, why can't I be a comedian that loves, you know, and the cool thing about that is they're like, I'm, I'm a big outdoors guy. I love to hunt and fish and hike and all that stuff. So people will come hear me like at a wild game dinner that would never go to church, yep. but they'll come to laugh for 30 minutes and then maybe, you know, I can share something else with them. Yep. So yeah, I don't regret that. So let's talk about the comedy thing a little bit. So um, you uh, went to Georgia Tech. Went to Georgia Tech. Uh, <laughs> I was a Georgia fan. I would have gone to Georgia. I had no money. And so I had to live at home, and I worked at a grocery store full time. So Tech was the closest school. And I went there for three years until they invited me to take some time off. Uh, <laughs> yeah, here's the funny part. You just, you so I had three years to make at many Tech. of us feel better. I yeah. just feel this. this. <laughs> And, and, and so last Christmas, my mother was saying to me, you know, you have three years. It's, it, you just should go back and get that last year. <laughs> and I said, Mom, the, the comedy thing is working out okay. And, uh, <laughs> she's like, I know, but you would have something to fall back on. If, if I, so. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I went and for then I took some time off and, and you and went to I work for went to work for IBM. Started in dispatch, but I had a job carrying a tool bag, fixing machines. It sounds more glamorous than it was, and I was the guy. I was the guy that was always like doing impersonations of the boss in the break room, and then somebody would tap you and you turn around and the boss would be yeah. you know. <laughs> so I was not headed for greatness there. At IBM. Uh, but actually, it was your friends at IBM that encouraged you to step Well, I had into- a bunch of friends that would go to the punchline every week. You know, mm-hmm. it was kind of new, the comedy club thing. And they kept coming back to work and going, Fox, you're funnier than the people down there. You ought to go do this. And I didn't. And so they entered me in a contest. A lot of people probably remember it, the Great Southeastern Laugh-Off. They entered mm-hmm. me in this. They signed you up. They signed me up. And this wasn't an amateur night. It was for working comedians. And so I'm like, I, I went and 
watched for a week to try to get an idea what it was all so about. So you've never been to a comedy club? No. <laughs> I did, well, when I was a kid, I would buy like, you know, Cosby albums and Bob yeah. Newhart and Flip Wilson and I'd memorize them and go to school and get in trouble for them. <laughs> the, the best note that I ever got in my life, first time I played the Fox Theater, somebody brought a note to the dressing room and it was from my high school principal. And he said, I cannot believe I am shelling out money <laughs> to listen to the same kind of stuff I used to try to put a stop to. Yeah. So, uh, it's, it's this thing. Yeah, again. here, yeah. there's yeah. that guy again. Yeah. So uh, I went home and, and wrote five minutes about my family and went back the next week and won the contest. Wow. And it, it, first time on set, I had no idea what I was doing. Now, something else very significant happened that night. Yes, I'm, I, I, my wife. Current wife. Current. No, well, she wasn't only, your wife then. Yeah, no, she wasn't my wife then. Yeah, okay. oh, I was single. Yeah. Um, well, current, well, you know, it sounds to... like the, the one he's well, got now, not one out. of the next two or three. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, but she was an actress and she had just done a movie with a guy that was a comic. And so they had a group that came down to root for this guy. So and he was in the... He was in the contest. He's uh, still, we're still friends today. So I met, and she came up and, and talked to me. And so, and I was so nervous. I like looked at her and I spilled my drink right like all down the front of her. And I'm like, well, I guess you'll never go out with me. And she said, you haven't even asked. And that was 33 years ago. So we've been married 32 years. I met my wife and my career the same night, same place. So. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and she encouraged you to, to chase this She thing. was the only person, you know, and I guess it was because she, she, she was the one saying, you've got all this creative stuff inside of you. You're going to go crazy if you don't get it out. Mm -hmm. So after two or three months of doing amateur nights, I quit IBM. And my, my mother's, this was my mother's first question. Are you on the dope? <laughs> <laughs> Not just dope, the dope. Are you on the dope? <laughs> And I'm like, no, I'm not on dope. I just, I want to try to be a comedian. And she's like, we can get you help. We have, you know. And five years later, I was on Johnny Carson, the same mother's going, you know, you wasted all those years at IBM. And I'm like, whatever. Moms. They're the best. Okay, so you met Greg, your wife. Yeah. And you've been married for 30, what? 30 years, and immediately, I mean, I just, 32 years. I, we I, got a I, picture of your whole family. Check this out. Look at, yeah, there yeah, they yeah, are. Yeah. My yeah. girls, all girls, yeah. My oldest daughter, Jordan, who works at the Atlanta Mission full-time. That's her job. Jules, a Auburn grad. Uh, oh, really? Too We're going to do that on Sunday. We're just going to rub it in. Too soon. Uh, and then my beautiful wife, who doesn't change, and I just get old, so... Uh, that's fabulous. So, yeah. so uh, the comedy thing, your mom was right. It, it ultimately worked out. The other thing, before we switch gears, that I love about you, Jeff, and I've heard this from other people, and then I've asked you about it, is during all those years, I mean, being a professional comedian, you're all over the country. You're on the West Coast a lot. You live in Georgia. You stayed here. Um, and where it was, it would have been so easy to just disconnect from family and just live that life. You, you paid a price, both in terms of time, energy, and money, to get home, be there in the morning, get your kids to school, 
And uh, that was, that's always been a priority for you. Yeah, well, my dad left when I was young. My, and so, and no matter what your parents say, when, when you're a kid and your parent leaves, in your mind, you think I wasn't worth sticking around for. Hmm. That's what you feel. And so, even though I had a job that put me in a different city every night, I would rent a plane. I would fly out of PDK. <laughs> I would fly home every night. So, say Friday night, I had a show in St. Louis. I would go do the show, and I would fly home and get home at 2 or 3 in the morning, and I'd get up, and I'd take them to soccer or basketball or whatever they were doing. <clears throat> and then I'd get back on the plane at 4 in the afternoon, fly to Minneapolis or fly to, you know, wherever I was doing. So, for... But I would take my kids to school every day. And my brother lives next door to me. I'd take five little girls to school every day. Because I wanted my kids to know, hey, even though I love what yeah, I do, yeah. you're the priority in my life. Yeah. I think that's an important thing for folks to know. Because it's so easy to use a, a myriad of things as an excuse. But that, was, uh, <clears throat> that cost you terms of time, influence, and a whole sleep. lot of sleep. <laughs> yeah. And a whole lot of money. So, um, so. 10 years ago, and this is, this is amazing, 10 years ago, um, someone that I don't think you even knew all that well invited you to do something you had no interest in at all. So tell us about how the whole in involvement with the mission I did a started. country countdown show for 10 years. They recorded it on Tuesday morning, and it would air on the weekend. And so it got canceled, and I kept thinking, well, what am I going to do on Tuesdays? And we were, I was with my girls at the Carter Center watching a documentary thing, and then they had to go to the bathroom. And whatever you girls do in the bathroom takes a lot longer than whatever <laughs> us guys in the bathroom do. So I'm killing time, and a guy had a table set up from the Atlanta Mission. And I took one of their brochures, and as I'm reading it, and I was like, oh, I didn't realize this was a faith-based thing. And the guy's name was Joshua Harrelson, and he said, hey, if you want to have lunch, he wrote his number down. And I got home, I put it on the kitchen counter, and for months, I mean two or three months, my wife would be like, can I throw this away? I'm like, nah, don't throw that away yet. But it just sat there. Things came and went. And I finally called him, and he said, yeah, come down for lunch. And in my mind, I'm thinking, he wants something out of me. He wants me to do a, a, a show and donate the money, or he wants me to do their commercials. He wants something. And, and I asked him, I'm like, what do you want? And he said, I just want to have lunch. And so he invited me down. The first guy that I met at the mission, and, and, and this was my feeling about people that were homeless. I'm like, oh, there's somebody homeless. Find a few bucks, and they'll go away. And I can go deal with what I'm dealing with. The first guy I met was a... Now, we're in the middle of downtown Atlanta. It's this white 20-year-old... And this is your first trip down first there? First trip down there, having lunch down in the cafeteria. 21-year-old kid named Jason, and, I, and I'm looking at him, and to be honest, I'm like, get a job. You lazy, what the heck are you, you're 21 years old, what are you doing? And so we sit down, and Joshua says, hey, Jason, tell him your story. And Jason said, well, it was me and my brother and my mom and dad. And then when I was 11, my mom killed herself. He said, and then the next year, my brother killed himself. And then it was just me and my dad. And my second year of college, my dad killed himself. He said, and I just got tired of hurting. And so I just started getting high. And I'm looking at this kid and I'm thinking, I would have got high too. Oh, because when you get high or when you get drunk, you're not a good employee. So you, you don't work. Nobody wants to hire you. And so you don't have money. And so you start borrowing and taking from people around you yep. and 
That's how you end up on the street. It's some kind of hurt that you numb to. That's how you end up on the street. That's how you end up homeless. Something bad happened to you and you couldn't get past. So all of a sudden, instead of being nameless and faceless, this was a real guy with a real story that really, the story stunk. Hmm. And I'm looking at him and I'm going, I I could be homeless. I could be you because I would have gotten high too. And so what was the ask? After lunch, I mean, there was an ask. Well, I, yeah, I went back two or three times, and I kept thinking, what do you want? And I kept asking Joshua, what do you want? And he said, finally, he said, you keep asking, what do I want? I'll tell you what I want. I want you to lead a small group. He said, none of these guys have ever done a small group. A and small group at the Atlanta Mission with at, homeless people. Yeah, do a little small group Bible study. And I'm thinking, there's six and a half million people in Atlanta, and you can't find anybody more qualified than me? <laughs> really? And so that's how it began. It was me and 12 guys, and I had to even entice them. I would stop at Chick-fil-A and get chicken biscuits. I'm like, if you'll just come to small group, I'll give you a chicken biscuit. And uh, So literally, you, when you get to Chick-fil-A on Tuesday mornings, they're not even open I'll wait yet. for them to open. I'm standing outside in the dark with so my little So if you would ever cooler. like to get Jeff's autograph, if you'll go to the Chick-fil-A... <laughs> You have to get there at 6.15, right? Yeah, you right? got 6.15, you got a good yeah, shot at yeah. it. Yeah. So you pick up the, okay, keep going, and sorry. So, and so, and what was weird, it was almost divine. It's, it's, and I'm like, wow, this job is bigger than I am. So I had a group of guys that some of them I, I barely knew that I would text and go, hey, you want to come down here? One like my closest friends. Some of your friends. friends, yeah. Yeah, just associate. And somebody say, oh, this guy's kind of got a hard part. I'm like, would you like to come down and... Almost to a man, every one of them said, I'll come down once, but Tuesdays are busy for me. I can't, I can't do it but once. Mm-hmm. And then 10 years later, they've been there every Tuesday for a decade. Wow. Um, and, and I, I mean, I love these guys. These guys are just so all in. I know some of them are out here today. And so it's not my thing. All I did was say yes. That's all I did. I wasn't qualified. I just said, yes, I'll do this. Wow. Now, why would you go back? You know what? Well, the, well, the thing with Jason... Because he didn't it, ask you initially to do anything. It was just... Well, here, here, here's why I went back was because of the stories. And, mm. and, and in fact, one of my best friends... Oh, my gosh. If you've never read a book called Same Kind of Different as Me, Ron, Ron Hall and, and Denver Moore, the story of them. But that, that book really influenced me. And one of my dearest friends in the whole world, Wayne Cook, he, he and I are that book. But I was scared to death of Cook because Cook's big. And, and he was angry when I first started going in there. And, and I have a friend, Ronnie Brassfield, we call him Chicken Man. And so one, in one of those early groups, we, I, it was hard to get him to talk, mm-hmm. to, to, to discuss, because if you'd been in church, you don't talk. And so we, I was trying to think of questions. So one of my questions was, what is the Bible? And, and so Chicken Man, one guy said, well, it's just a book. So Chicken Man took the trash can put it in the middle of the floor and walked over and dropped his Bible in the trash can. And you see everybody go. Yeah. And Cook got up and he pulled it out and he wiped it off. He said, chicken man, don't do that. And he said, well, if it's just a book, why does that bother you? And Cook told the story, the condensed version. He said, when his, when his mom died, he said, I inherited $70,000. And like a lot of us, when we have excess, we don't do well with it. And he just started partying, got a couple of girlfriends, and they, they're partying night and day, quit going to work, you know, getting high, doing crack. And, and when you don't go to work, you don't get paid. When you don't get paid, you don't 
pay your rent and you end up on the street. And he said, so when I get kicked out of my apartment, we're bouncing from place to place and I've got my stuff in a few suitcases in a backpack, but as I'm bouncing from place to place, I'm losing stuff. Mm. And one of the things that he had was when he was a kid, he had this Bible that his mother had given him and on the inside cover, she had written a love letter to him on the inside cover of the Bible. Well, somewhere along the way, he loses this Bible. Then it is, always happens, the money runs out, the next day the girlfriends go away and now you've got a crack habit and you're on the street. Year, year and a half later, a guy hires him and another guy to go clean out an apartment building that he had bought and he's gonna refurbish and rent out. And so two floors, they're cleaning them out, Cook's on the bottom floor, another guy's on the second floor and Cook goes up to check on him and he said, there's a little pile of stuff in the corner. Now this is 100 miles from Atlanta. A year and a half later, 100 miles from Atlanta. He's going and he said, what's that stuff in the corner? He said, well, that's stuff I found that might be worth something. Cook said he's over there rooting through it, looking at it, and there's a little pile of books covered in dirt. And he reaches down and he pulls a book out of the pile and he opens it up and there's the love letter from his mother. It's his Bible. It's his Bible. A year and a half later, 100 miles away, if you put it in a movie, people would say that's not believable. And he said he literally collapsed to the floor and started sobbing. Mm -hmm. And he's like, okay, if God's chasing me this hard, wow, I'm going to quit running. Wayne Cook has been sober for a decade and has taken more guys off the street down at the Atlanta Mission than anybody in Atlanta. Wow. So, uh, Jeff, you told me that when you start a new group or there's new guys coming into the group, you oftentimes start with Luke 15 and you start with the story of the prodigal son and you know the setting is Jesus has Pharisees and religious leaders on one side and tax collectors and sinners on the other and neither of them understand what God is like. And so he tells these three little parables, these three little stories, the third one being the story of the prodigal son. But there's also an older brother. And so you told me that's where, that's in terms of introducing them to this the gospel and uh, the significance of what's about to happen, that's where you start. Why, why that story and what's the connection between that and that group? I, th I think it's the greatest piece of literature ever written. And it's, you know, you open your yeah. Bible and it's this sure. big. But it's, you know, the story of one son that says, hey, I want my inheritance, which in that culture meant, I wish you were dead. Yeah. You're not dying fast enough. So it says to your dad, I wish you were dead. I, I want my money. And, you know, goes out and squanders it on all the things that the world tells you are cool things, women and booze and whatever. And, and, you know, ends up feeding somebody's pigs and wishing he could eat what they were eating. He's like, all right, I'll swallow my pride and go back home to dad. And, 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 and that part of the story that I love is, is it says while he was still a long ways away, his father saw him. So it, his father wasn't. That's, that's an active thing. That's not a passive thing. He's searching the hilltops, waiting on this kid that said, I wish you were dead. Mm. You know, they reunite, puts on the ring, the robe, the, and the sandals, meaning you're not a servant, you're a you're family. And the son that had stayed and that had done everything right gets mad because, you know, the, the father had said, let's kill the fatted calf and... Uh, have a celebration because my son that was dead is now alive. You know, you know uh, who hated to see the son come home the most? I would guess the brother, but... No, the fatty cat. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I should not have answered like, that The cat's like, oh, no. It's, uh... <laughs> 
You're going to use that down yeah. the road, though, I guarantee you. No, I'm just not going to answer that question next service. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. So, <laughs> but I think it, it's, it's just such a great analogy because it's called the prodigal son, but it's not really about the son that went away. It's not even about the son that stays and gets mad because they're having a party. It's about the love of the father. Mm -hmm. I mean, the whole story is about that, and that's who God is. You can't be bad enough to make him quit loving you, and you can't be good enough to make him love you more. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes, especially within the organized church, we become that son that stayed, and we're like, I'm going to do everything right, and you'll love me more. And he's like, no, it's not possible. I don't love you any more than I love the guy that's smoking crack under the bridge. I love you all the same. And that's, that's what makes him so cool, man. It's, we don't love that way. Mm. He loves that way. Do the guys resist that story? Is that kind of an eye-opening moment? Or well, does it I take think, a while for that to settle You know, in? most people that live in addiction got damaged early on some type <clears throat> of abuse. It might have been sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse. So it's hard, you know, to feel like you're loved that way. And, and, and I think for a lot of people, the idea of father, father's not necessarily a good word to a lot of people, you know, especially when you've had a father that's left you or abused you or, 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 or whatever. So there's a transition there. But, but this is why these Bible studies are important because once, and, and what I did is everything my earthly father could not give me, mm. it was like, God's like, okay, you want a daddy that just loves you, a daddy that doesn't leave, a daddy that's here, a daddy that encourages you. That I'm gonna, and so I just let God be my daddy. Mm. You know, and there were nights when, days to this day when I get frustrated, and I'm like, Dad, can I just climb up in your lap and you rub my head for a little bit? And so, you know, I freed my dad, because my dad's dad left early. My dad's dad went out for a pack of cigarettes and never came back. And so I'm like, oh, well, that's why my dad was that way. And so I freed my dad up from that, and I loved my dad. He passed away in 1999, but... He's freed up from that. And so once you understand, oh, I am loved and, and I'm not, you know, because that's what we all have in common. As a comedian, all I'm thinking about is what do we have in common? That's, that's what I look for comedy in. Well, one thing we all have in common, everybody wants to be significant. Everybody wants to be worth something. And, and at the cross, God said, you're not worth something. You're worth everything. You're worth everything to me. I'm going to give up my perfect son for you. If you were the only person on the planet, I'm going to do this for you. I love you this much. And so in addiction, if you can ever get that hurt to heal, you can get restored. And it doesn't happen in every case, but it happens over and over and over again down there. Mm -hmm. Guys that were the hopeless heroin addicts that are out there making a difference you know, got their own place, got marriages. And so we're all damaged. Every one of us is jacked up in some way. And, and I think the thing that just thrills God's heart is to see broken things restored. Wow. Because God doesn't start something and go, oh, that didn't work out. I'm going to give up on that. He's like, no, if you'll trust me, I'll make this right. You told me a story once um, where, because, you know, there's, they're homeless and they, they all have a story, but they get accustomed to people doing things for them. They come to the mission and they're fed. They come to the mission. They can get into a program. 
So you decided you were going to try to teach them this, this particular group you've been with for a while. You had good relationships to be generous. So you decided you're going to give them some money. To Can you tell that story? Is that too awkward? No, no, it's not too awkward. So but, how many people have been wrong about something? <laughs> okay, I've been wrong about it. It's funny when I look back at my life, most of the things that, are, that I argued vehemently for or against 30 years ago, I've yeah. totally changed my mind. Yeah. Uh, so the mission has a wonderful thing. It's called being in the program. And if you agree to get clean, if, you, if you'll get sober, they'll put you up for a year. They'll feed you every day. They'll put you up for a year. But we're going to go through, you know, emotional healing, spiritual healing, job attainment, you know, all, all kinds of They things. have to be in a small group with well, Jeff Foxworthy. Yeah, well. <laughs> but it's like. We want to restore, we don't want to just keep taking care of you because you're homeless. We want you not to be homeless. Mm -hmm. And so after about a year of doing um, the program, Jim Reese, who quit his job as CEO of a Fortune 100 company to run the Atlanta mission, just an amazing story in itself. I said to Jim, I said, Jim, they need to bless somebody because we're providing every meal. We're providing the beds. We're providing the towels and the soap. They need to bless somebody. And I said, I want to give them all at Christmas a hundred bucks. And Chip's like, Oh no, I don't want people on the street buying crack. No, don't give them a hundred bucks. And so, and and I just, you know, I kept praying over this. And I said, I'm telling you, it's it's going to be okay. I just feel like God's telling me it's going to be okay. So we ended up on fifty bucks. And so by this time, the twelve had grown into, you know, two hundred and fifty big guys on Tuesday morning. And so I went to the bank and got crisp fifty dollar bills. And at the end of the thing, we gave every guy in the program a $50 bill. And guys are jumping up going, I can get a bus ticket. I can go home for Christmas. I can buy my kids presents. I mean, they were mm -hmm. high-fiving and so excited. And I said to them, I said, okay, that's your money. You can do it whatever you want to. But three blocks away, there's a school that caught on fire last month, and it burned up all of their stuff. And I said, so they're really struggling without notebooks and paper and pencils and things like that. I said, I was just down at Children's Healthcare last week, and they told me that over the Christmas holidays, there'll be 300 kids there on Christmas Day, and it's the coldest winter in, a, in 100 years in Atlanta, and there's people sleeping under cardboard. So whatever you guys collectively want to donate into this basket in the middle of the room, we as group leaders have pledged to match you dollar for dollar, you know, the 15 group leaders will match you 250 guys dollar for dollar, and, and we'll go buy notebook paper and we'll go buy hats and gloves and we'll go buy toys for kids 250 homeless addicts got up and went and put their $50 bill in the bucket every man in the room and then they started digging through their pockets and pulling out $5 bills and $10 bills and then they went back to their room and they got their change and started dumping it in there and at that point I got up and walked around the corner and, and sat against the wall and sobbed like I have not sobbed as an adult in my life because I'm like, man, I feel good about myself when I sit there and write a check for somebody, but I never gave every dime I had to somebody else. And so being wrong about somebody, when you look at somebody out on the street and you think, oh, they're just a bum or they're just a drug addict, or it's like, no, they're a person. Mm -hmm. And they've got a heart 
may be bigger than yours and that they're willing to give everything they've got to help somebody else. Wow. Well, um, we're, yeah, isn't that powerful? So um, we're challenging folks at all of our Atlanta area churches, all nine churches around the city, um, to step out of their comfort zone, um, answer a call, and do something uncomfortable. And we've asked people to go to a website. You, you were here, and, and some did, and some won't, and some will, and they'll get too busy. And I love the fact that your first invitation, you had that phone number, and you set it on your dresser, and you shuffled it around and moved it around, and it sat there and sat there, and then finally... And so what would you say, because our churches are full of busy people, raising kids, grandkids, we're going to work, um, and our hearts are good. You were generous in our hearts. We're just not all that generous on our calendars sometimes. So, you know, our, our churches are yours. What, what, what do you say to us busy people about these opportunities? Yeah, I tell my kids that you're not really alive until you have a few hold your nose and jump moments. Just hold your, like when I quit IBM to be an, you know, a comedian, that was a hold your nose and jump. First year I did 406 shows, made $8,300. <laughs> and how many shows? 406. Wow. So, and I know you're going, there's only 365 days in a year, but that's like two shows Friday, three shows or whatever. If you wait until you have the free time to go love on somebody else, you're never going to do it. Just say Yes. Just so, yes, I, I, I will commit to go do this. And, and what I found happened to me, I was wrong about what the world sells you as being a full life. I find with my life, my life is the best when I'm not the most important thing in it. And everybody in here has somebody in their life, an aunt, a, a grandfather, a grandmother, whatever, that you look at and you go, man, that's the kind of life I want to lead. I guarantee you, whoever you're thinking about when I say that was not a self-focused person. They were another. Because I've never known anybody that was self-focused, that was happy. And so when Jesus said, and I used to contemplate that, what does that mean when he said you'll have life to the full? It's not what the world tells you. It's not, hey, what can I get for me? I found that what I found down there to know, you know, because when you serve somewhere like that, you're probably thinking, well, you know, you come away with that with the idea of, oh, I'm so appreciative over what I have and they don't have. And that's not the case at all. The, the case for me is, oh, I know somebody's story and we have much more in common then, then we're different, and, and we're both loved the same way by this crazy God that just covers us in a waterfall full of grace. So the full is the relationship that I have with these guys that I never would have had if I hadn't just said yes. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. I love these guys. They've made my life so much better. I sit there, you would pay money to listen to them pray. So they're not like this, and, and I'm not being accusatory, but sometimes on Sunday we act like we got it all going on, you know, and, and, and when we do, we're just pretending we don't have it all going on. So it's sometimes it's refreshing for a guy to go, hey, I stole my grandmother's life savings to buy crack. And you're like, well, the cross covers that too. We can deal with that. So, uh, <laughs> but if you write a check, you're, you're going to have a positive influence on somebody's life and that's great. But if you serve you're not only going to have a positive influence on somebody's life, you're probably going to have a real positive influence on your own life. 
and it just makes it richer and fuller. And and once you've tasted purpose, you don't you can't be happy with just existing anymore. Wow. Well, Jeff, thank you for what you do. Thanks for uh, coming today. Could we give a warm multi-campus welcome and thanks to Jeff Foxworthy. Thank you. Thanks, y'all. God bless you.